0: hi sunshine i'm jazz and i'm jen hi guys welcome back again this week we are going to be hearing from jen so what are you going to be telling us jay so this week
1: we're going to be talking about the murder of kelly clayton i don't it's not really one that's super well known but I saw it on an episode of 2020 and I really wanted to talk about it because it's just a crazy story. So, oh, and with that said, all of this is basically from 2020. So if you guys want to go and do (laughs) your own research, go and check it out. (laughs) So we are starting off in the early 2000s. And before we get to anything, we want to talk about a man named Thomas Clayton. He was a hockey star for the Elmira Jackals in New York. And if you've ever seen a hockey game, you know that a big part of the appeal is the drama. It can be very violent with ice fights breaking out. And Jazz, you're, you're like nodding. Have you been to a hockey game? Yeah, I
0: remember the first time I went, well, I've only gone once, but the time we went to a hockey game, we were like, oh, we're not really hockey fans. <laughs> but then we started watching it and we're like, oh, the drama. <laughs> yeah,
1: I remember thinking that too, because I think I've only been to one or two, but it is wild.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: so this guy, Thomas, we're going to call him Tom during the story. He was one of the players who had no problem starting a fight, and he was called an instigator on the ice. So he was very cocky, confrontational, and willing to put on a good show. Kelly had spotted Tom from the stands at one of his games and immediately liked him. She was outgoing, caring, spontaneous, and very sassy, according to the people close to her. So that night. She went out to a bar right after the game, and she was with her best friend, Andrea, who people call Andy. And Tom was actually there at that same bar. And in true best friend fashion, Andy went up to him and asked if he had a girlfriend. And he says, "Well, who are you asking for? And she replies, well, not me. (laughs) And he says, the blonde? or he asks the blonde and she kind of nods and and he says she's unbelievable and so it just kind of seems like they hit it off right away
0: how cute yeah been there done that for you not for me
1: (laughs) yeah i was going to say it reminds me of that one time at a bar so jazz went up to some guy and he and i
0: a group of guys and i was like a whole group oh, of guys yeah the best looking one here
1: <laughs> and so we ended up going out for like seven months or something after that so thanks Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> so tom was very much a player um no pun intended there <laughs> he had women chasing after him and he was pretty good looking and he had that whole bad boy vibe going for him but as soon as he met Kelly, they got serious very quickly. They married in 2006, and like I said, I don't know the exact year that they got together or they met, but um, I do know it was early 2000, so it couldn't have been that long. A year later, after they married, he injured his leg and couldn't play hockey anymore, which made for a natural transition into a career in business for Tom. He owned some properties and managed a ServPro franchise. I don't know if you know what a ServPro shop is.
0: I do. That's a, one of my competitors or my company. Yeah, competitor. I was going to
1: say I thought of you because that's, <laughs> yeah, where you work. <laughs> you want to tell them what it is?
0: So ServPro is just like a restoration company, although I think they offer a lot more services than like the company I work for does because mm. they do like... Um, emergency water restoration. I think they also do reconstruction. So basically, they just handle stuff that goes wrong at your house—flood or a fire.
1: Actually, that's a better definition because I just I just googled it and I was like, I don't know what that is, but yeah. So they they fix <laughs> things when shit hits the fan.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Pretty soon after, they had their daughter Charlie, and three years later, they had their son Colin. And they were doing great financially. They actually ended up buying a beautiful home in Caton, New York. And it just seemed like things were lining up. Everyone around them saw their relationship as as loving and basically perfect.
0: (laughs) Sorry, I feel like that. Like Everybody saw their relationship as basically perfect. (laughs) And then it's the dun dun.
1: I know, right? Dramatic pause.
0: Yeah, I just think of, like, you know, Law and Order where it, like, switches to, like, a a suspenseful scene and just the (laughs) (laughs) dun-dun.
1: So true. (laughs) So it was September 29th, 2015, and one thing that Tom really enjoyed was gambling. And that's what he was doing on this autumn night. He was playing a game of poker with some friends. He then went home and found a scene right out of Any Husband's Worst Nightmare. He walks into his house and there is blood everywhere. And Kelly is on the floor of the kitchen with blood all over her and her face is unrecognizable. And he calls 911. And so I want to play that 911 call.
2: 911. Help me, help me, my wife. Okay, just stay on the line with me. How long has she been down? I don't know. I don't know. I just got home. Sir, you need to calm down so I can help you. Is she beyond CPR? Yes. Sir, can you tell me why you think she's beyond CPR?
0: Just me.
1: So that was a 911 call. What do you think, Jazz?
0: That was really short, and I guess he does sound kind of panicked, but i think it's so weird that he the 911 operator is asking if she if he thinks she's beyond cpr and at the end he's like yeah just trust me like well what do you mean just trust you like did you check did you try did you see if she's still breathing like
1: yeah okay so i was thinking the same thing it's like i don't care if like you know, her head is chopped off. Like, you would still, you know, if it's someone that you care about, you would still be trying to do whatever you can, you know? It just doesn't make
0: any sense. Yeah, I feel like typically people have that, like, initial denial. Like, no, there's no way she's gone. I can still save her. And so I just think it's really interesting that he he isn't doing that. And I guess you do constantly hear that whole, like, you never know how you'll react in... You know, one of these situations, but I mean, I would hope that he would want to save her if possible.
1: Yeah, and then something else that so you said like, he did sound frazzled, but it's like, yeah, he did sound frazzled, which is what I thought too, but at the same time, like, his actions aren't matching up to it. So, I mean, yes, you sound frazzled, but you're not willing to try anything.
0: Yeah, and it just is kind of, like, hurried more than it is panicked. Like, oh my god, you know, she's dead. It's not like, it's not, I don't have that oh my god sensation. Am I not supposed to say that? Like, for religious reasons? I don't know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, it's more of just like a, I don't know, like an empty panic, not like a sentimental panic. If that makes sense yeah
1: no i definitely agree with you okay so you know 911 um calls or you know tries to get an officer on the scene and it was deputy dean swan who was on duty when he got the call at 12:39 a.m it was very vague they just told him that a woman was down and it was a medical situation And so he headed for the Clayton house and on the episode of 2020, they show the road like they show him driving down at night and it's very dark and creepy while driving there. I just, I don't know. I just feel like he doesn't know what he's getting himself into and he's going down this creepy road and uh, chills. Anyhow, one thing I found to be interesting is that he says that on his way over there, Again, remembering that he didn't really get much info. He said that he had this gut feeling that something was wrong. And it just seems like intuition. Mm -hmm. So back at the house, Tom takes his kids, Charlie and Cullen, to a neighbor.
0: Right, that was actually going to be my other question. Where were the kids during all of this? I mean, if she's on the floor covered in blood, where are they? Because at this point, we don't know how long she's been on the floor, right?
1: Yeah, so we we don't know exactly how long she's been there, but it wasn't too long. It was probably an hour or so. Charlie and Colin were both at the house during all of this, but they were unharmed
0: was it like late was it bedtime like were they sleeping
1: I don't know exactly what time um, the attack took place but I know it was probably around 10 11 because the officer on duty got the call at 1239 a.m. I guess it could have been earlier because he went to that um he went to that poker game like around 7 pm so there is kind of a wide window there but you know nighttime I suppose
2: yeah
0: I'm just wondering because i know if i gave oliver an hour of unsupervised time like he would be all over the place
1: that's true yeah i didn't even think about that the things you think about as mom i suppose (laughs) (laughs) so they were okay and tom takes them to a neighbor when he gets home and when deputy swan shows up the neighbor's husband so i guess you know was probably a couple and i'm assuming he left the kids with the wife and so the neighbor's husband is out front on the clayton's lawn to show him in and the neighbor's really shaken like he couldn't get much out the deputy was asking him questions just to kind of um, front load himself on what the situation is but uh, he he just didn't really have much to say, he said Tom had woken him up because his wife, and then he just kind of showed him inside. And so the deputy goes in, and the kitchen is right off of the entryway, so he's able to see Kelly right away. And even after working as an officer for 20 years, he's, it's clear he's not prepared for the gruesome scene that he saw, but regardless, he's able to get to work, so he goes straight into action. He can tell right away that it was blunt force trauma. And by the blood everywhere, including the ceiling, it was clear to him that Kelly had been dragged from upstairs. So he then goes to question Tom about where he was during all of this. And it was, and it's a little funny because you can hear officer Swan asking Tom, well, uh, where were you um, during all of this? Kind of like, I don't want to accuse you of this, but like what was going on? Tom tells him he was playing poker with friends, that his daughter, seven-year-old Charlie, said that a robber came in. And so Tom is checked for cuts, weapons, bloodstains, but he didn't have any. The officer then takes him to a squad car and assures him that he's not in any trouble and to stay calm because he was kind of shaking around. I mean that to say that he was shaken up, but he was physically shaking. Mm-hmm. And I believe at this point, backup arrives because when Deputy Swan goes in to clear the house to make sure that the killer isn't still in there by any chance, he was talking to someone and telling them to cover him, like to, you know, cover his back. And so he cleared the house and then Swan looks like he wanted to run out of there right after the house was cleared, which is understandable because, I mean, how could you not after seeing everything that happened at that house? they realize there is no signs of forced entry the officers also notice that there's no sign of a robbery which is strange because charlie had said a robber came in but i guess to a seven-year-old a man i i didn't mention this but a man in a mask might just look like a robber you know from things she's seen yeah, on tv that's just
0: like what you automatically think of
1: Yeah, exactly. So everything was where it was supposed to be. Nothing appeared to have been rummaged through. And another thing that was strange was that there were holes in the wall, which I think is to say that Kelly didn't go down without a fight. I think she was fighting this person who was attacking her. On Deputy Swan's police cam, you can hear him talking in whispers to the other officer saying that he doesn't believe Tom's story. He has a theory that it was a domestic dispute turned ugly. With this theory, Swan actually goes back to that neighbor who had let him in the first place. His name is Derek. And he questions him, asking, were there any issues between Kelly and Tom? He says no. Did Tom change his clothes at all? Or did he have blood on him? Again, no. He just said that he was really shaken and that Tom had said right when he saw him Derek it's really gruesome in there and that's that's about it
0: I think that's uh, really interesting to note that he doesn't have any blood on him because that kind of just goes back to that 911 call like he didn't even try to check to see if she was alive or even like hold her or I don't know you know do something for her
1: yeah, you would think this this woman that you love is there on the floor, you know, presumably dead. But regardless, you would want to hug her or do some I don't know. Yeah, it does seem weird. But with that 911 call, you can just kind of tell maybe the reason that he didn't want to try CPR is he knew he would get blood on him. You know?
0: Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's interesting.
1: Yeah, same. So while Tom waits by the squad car, he calls his sister-in-law Kim to tell her that her sister is dead. And the way that he did it was very strange. It It was basically just, Kim, Kelly's dead, and that's it. Like, no... No warning or anything, like, hey, I'm about to give you terrible fucking news, so maybe sit down, or... I don't know. And just not, no emotion really, just, just that. Weird. Yeah. And so Kim, in complete shock, goes to the Clayton house, and it was cold and rainy, and she runs up to one of the ambulance cars, because at this point there were plenty of emergency vehicles around. So Kim thought they were working on saving her sister and you can actually hear her from the police cam and she's just yelling over and over, where is my sister? And then after a moment, you just, you hear hysterical crying, you know, the kind that's like gut-wrenching and you just, you can't stop after you start. And so she wasn't allowed near Tom, she just kind of saw that his face was like in his hands. And the reason she couldn't see him was because he was going to be taken into police interrogation. And I think initially, I mean, we know this from other cases, the husband is always the first suspect. But with this one, I think Officer Swan was just really put off by Tom's behavior and they needed to interrogate him right away. There was an investigator here, Donald Lewis. He was on the scene and something that struck him that he says he won't ever forget was Tom saying kind of out of nowhere, well, you guys know uh, where I was because my truck has GPS. Yeah, it's like, why would you feel the need to say that out of seemingly nowhere? Sorry, I'm saying yeah, because I'm responding to Jaz's facial expression. <laughs> <sighs> he also stated, and I believe this was actually while he was in interrogation, that he did not kill his wife and that he also wanted a lawyer.
0: So he's essentially already assuming that he is a suspect and that they're accusing him of committing this crime without them accusing him of committing this crime.
1: Yeah, it seems like he's really on the offense about this and or defense. Is it defense?
0: Defense. <laughs> defense.
1: <laughs> you could tell how much I played sports, right? <laughs> <laughs> and for really no reason, I mean other than the fact that, you know, the husband it tends to be the first one that people look at, but but if you're not guilty, why would you go to I just feel like
0: this? it's so yeah, like that's such a <sighs> Like what we think of as a tall tale sign. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say the, tell, Is that the Tall tale sign, yeah. <laughs> tell, tall tale yeah. sign. Whatever. <laughs> I think it's like one of those uh, things that you initially or immediately, Jesus Christ, even I can't speak today. <laughs> um, it's one of those things that you think of when the person is guilty because you're getting more of this defensive nature than you are like inquisitive like he's not trying to find out who did it or what happened or you know who was in his house with his wife and his kids it's more of like a nope it wasn't me that's it don't worry about it nothing
1: about oh my gosh my wife is dead you know what is life now it's more like Let me make sure I don't get in trouble.
0: Yeah, which is odd. Super odd.
1: I think I mentioned they live in Caton, New York. And for anyone who doesn't know, Caton is very peaceful and it's a rural area with lots of trees everywhere. It looks very... Woodsy. Like, it looks like it's a cute little neighborhood surrounded by woods. Um, so it's beautiful, it's got a small-town feel and then, you know, with, with all of this, it's this quiet community and they suddenly are dealing with this gruesome murder. So they have a major manhunt trying to find who the murderer is. So they search for tire tracks, they search prints, they did notice, and I believe this was through um, shoe prints, that someone had left through the back. So they brought in search dogs and there was actually a lake nearby and they drained the lake in hopes of finding evidence. Oh wow. Yeah. And as far as I know, none of that really came up with anything. I think the only piece was that they were able to find out that someone, that whoever it was, left through the back. So they look into Tom some more trying to see if he really was at that poker game he claimed to be at. They go to the Millers' home the morning after the crime, and they are the the ones who hosted the poker game, and they do that every Monday. It's kind of a, a regular thing for them. And Tom is usually at these poker games, and they did corroborate that he was in fact there. While being interviewed for 2020, the Millers' both husband and wife say There's no way that Tom could have done this. So Charlie is Tom and Kelly's seven-year-old daughter. And she was not only at the house during the attack, she witnessed the whole thing. But essentially she was taken in because she was the only witness to this. So I'm going to share the audio of Charlie being questioned about this night.
2: She told me that... A man was hurting mommy and she kept saying he did this and he did that and and so finally i said how do you know it's a he and she said because his eyes look just like daddy's and that was a chilling moment for me
0: well charlie do you know why we brought you here today
1: okay we're gonna have to talk a little bit about last night okay
0: in this video, 2020 obtained from authorities after it was played in open court, Charlie describes to investigators what she saw.
2: Do you know what a truth and a lie is? What's the truth? It means that it really happened and a lie is that
1: it didn't happen. Right. Right. Very good. So, what
2: happens if you tell a lie? Establishing that the child knows right from wrong. Knows the difference between a truth and a lie knows that there's consequences to not telling the truth
0: then in a matter-of-fact manner still unaware her mom has died she offers details of the attack in the
2: middle of night, this guy came and started hitting my mom with like this
0: pipe thingy can you tell me more about that
2: um there was blood everywhere on my door on the floor and I what did you hear? Like, my mom ran to the door screaming, Charlie, 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 Charlie. Run, Charlie, run. Those were the last words she heard from her mother. It's one of the most haunting things I've ever heard from a parent to a child. I saw the rocker, like, hitting her until she was on the ground. She was sort of suffering, okay. like, her mm-hmm. with the obvious
0: okay. Um, and I hugged her leg.
2: Charlie says after
0: she saw the robber leave through the garage, she ran to her little brother's room to protect him. But most interesting to investigators is her physical description of
2: the intruder.
0: Can you tell me what he looked like? Like, he was
2: wearing jeans, a black long sleeve shirt, and a mask. Okay. What did the robber look like? He he looked like my dad. And why do you say that? How did he look like your dad? The mask and his jeans. She said that he had on a mask, like what Daddy wears when he's hunting. How about the size of him? Was he a big, big daddy or was he a little guy? The size of my dad. And I said, well, is he fat like me or is he thin? And uh, she said, he's just like Daddy. Everything was just like Daddy. And every question I asked her related back to Daddy. And then she looks at me, she goes, but it couldn't have been Daddy because then who would take care of us? Did the robber say anything? Hmm? probably didn't say anything because what if it was my daddy? He could, re- could recognize his voice. It's about my mom. Like, where is she at? You know, we, you know, we need to find that out for you. That was not the time or place for her to learn that. She needed to be with family.
1: So, there's a lot to unpack with that. What are your first thoughts, Jazz? Well,
0: I thought it was really interesting that she kept... Like, referring back to her dad, like, when they were trying to get a description from her, just kind of a general idea of what this guy looked like. Everything she said kept pointing back to her dad.
1: Yeah, it was really strange. And I guess I could understand if this attacker, I mean, assuming that it's not her dad, kind of has the same build as her dad. Then, I guess it makes sense to say maybe one or two things, but to point every single question... To her dad. Yeah, and
0: I guess like that's the male figure in her life that she's most used to seeing around. I guess I can kind of understand that, like referring everything back to her dad, because that's just like that's who she knows. Yeah,
1: but it is strange. And at the end, I mean, just chills when she says, "Well." He didn't say anything because he probably didn't want us to recognize his voice if it was Dad.
0: Oh, yeah. See, I didn't catch... It was really hard to hear because the... Oh, I'm sorry. The, you should have told me. The audio is going through your headphone, not through your phone. Oh, phone, my gosh. You know? <laughs> Did not realize that. Do you want to hear it again? No, it's okay. I was reading the subtitles, and actually I had thought that she had said, um... That, if it were her dad, they had recognized they would have recognized the voice, but I thought it was to mean that the guy did speak, and it clearly wasn't her dad. But you know, that makes a lot a lot of sense. And she also said something about a lie. Mm-hmm. something about like him not getting in trouble or something like that.
1: Hmm. They did question her at the beginning. I'm not sure if that's what you were talking about.
0: No, it was after that, like when she was talking about how they looked alike and the jeans and the long sleeve shirt, and she, Something about the dad, I don't, I don't, I don't know.
1: <laughs> Something about the dad, well, they they asked what he looked like, and she, she described him. He was wearing a mask, he had on, you know, the same shirt that dad wears, the same jeans, and then the officer was saying, well, is he thin, is he thin, or is he fat like me, or, and then she's like, mm, just like dad.
0: Yeah, well, basically, that was everything, like, she just kept saying everything was like her dad.
1: I just, I don't know, I feel so sad whenever I watch this part because I've seen it a few times, you know, for research. And it's just, it's so heartbreaking to see how how detached she is from the situation. And I don't think any child would be acting like this if they weren't traumatized.
0: Yeah, it's just like a coping mechanism.
1: Yeah it was clear, also, that she wasn't fully aware of the situation, like, she wasn't aware that her mom had passed away, and I'm not sure, I mean, I took a child development class, but I'm not exactly sure when kids are able to grasp the concept of death, and so, I don't know if she thinks that her mom is hurt, but she asks at the end, you know, where's my, where's my mommy? like, where, where is she? but yeah, I mean, more than anything, that she places her dad there as the attacker.
0: Yeah, like basically without, you know, straight out saying, yeah, it was my dad, but you know, it looked like my dad and size was like my dad and the clothes was like my dad's.
1: So this conversation that uh, Charlie had with police gave them enough evidence to arrest Tom and it came as a shock to everybody. I don't think anyone really believed before this that Tom could be capable of anything like that and so they questioned, you know Ke- uh, Kelly's friends and, and sister and they claim that Kelly never mentioned anything about Tom being violent towards her or any problems between them which I suppose is why everyone thought their relationship was so perfect. Kelly's parents really even after this I believe they still didn't think that Tom could do something like this but they did have another suspect in mind Michael Beard he worked at the Clayton house doing handyman type things so he knew his way around he had also worked at the Pro shop that Tom managed and he was recently fired after working there for a long time they suspected that he was angry about being fired and I mean it helped that he knew his way around the home So right around this time, the Millers, do you remember the Millers from the poker game? They hosted it? Mm -hmm. Okay. So the Millers go to the police because they remember something strange about that night, the poker night. They say that Tom asked Lucky Miller, she's the wife, that he asked Lucky Miller to use her phone. At the time, it seemed completely innocent, but it was only after that this request seemed really strange especially because he had his own phone. I think he had said that he didn't have his phone, but they they saw him with his phone. So, you know, caught him in a lie. So Lucky remembering this goes back to check who he had called. And she felt like she was going crazy because she couldn't find a record of that call until her husband says he probably deleted it. So they check their online phone records and then they find two calls at ten fifty three pm that night. And can you guess who it leads them to?
0: Does it lead them back to that Beard guy? That's his last name, right?
1: <laughs> yes, it does, Michael Beard. So they realized that those calls he was Tom was making to Michael Beard, they brought him in and he was supposed to take a polygraph and he failed the polygraph. He kept insisting that he wasn't the person who killed Kelly What he didn't know, though, was that his girlfriend, Holly, would tell police that Tom Clayton offered him $10,000 to kill Kelly and burn their house down. So police confronted Michael with this information and he kind of stayed quiet for a moment. And then he admitted the whole thing, telling them that his boss, Tom Clayton, gave him the directions to go kill his wife and burn down the house. Tom had told him that the kids would be at their aunt's house. And he also wanted to make sure that Michael burned the cars because he wanted the insurance money. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's nuts. And so we think about, well, why would Michael agree to something like this? The thing that I thought was, well, he has the, the promise of $10,000 and mind you he didn't get paid before this he was just doing it all on a promise of getting that money.
0: Rookie mistake am I right?
1: <laughs> yes and so so he did all of this for nothing but he was doing it for the money and we also hear that part of the plan was to burn the house down And so what I was wondering was, well, why didn't he finish the job? And so investigators think that he might have just gotten freaked out after killing Kelly because it was so brutal that he didn't want to go through with it. And also-
0: Oh, I was thinking, sorry. (laughs) I was thinking that it was because the kids were supposed to be at their aunt's house and they weren't because- The um Kelly was screaming like, Run Charlie, run. Right. And that's why I was thinking.
1: Yeah, that's that's what my second and was supposed to be, or my second reason was, yeah, um the kids were there and I didn't think about that at first because investigators were like, Well, he just kinda got freaked out, or that's what that's our theory. But but yeah, I also think that maybe part of that freakout was seeing the kids there when they weren't supposed to be there. And I mean, obviously, yeah, the uh, Kelly was was yelling to Charlie to run, and also Charlie saw the whole thing. So I'm sure if she saw him, he saw her.
0: And do they have like a similar build, um, Michael and Tom? That's
1: another. That that's one of the things that through all the the research and and you know going through the whole um, 2020 episode I did not see an answer to that and it really bothers me because they do not they're not similar at all Um, well first of all uh, Tom is this white guy with blue eyes or colored eyes Michael is a black man with presumably brown eyes I think brown black eyes And so they don't, and and Michael looks a lot bigger. I have a skill for telling how tall someone is by their limbs, you know, and he looks a (laughs) lot bigger. I'm just, I'm just gonna say like, he looks a lot taller than Tom does. And so it doesn't seem like they have a similar build. So I don't know why Charlie would be saying that if it was Michael.
0: Right, I mean, I don't know.
1: Yeah, actually now seems like a good time to tell you a theory. I put it way at the end because, well, I was like, well, this is kind of like, I don't know, an afterthought kind of thing. But while researching, I found a possible theory I was kind of uh, going on, it wasn't reddit forums, but it was basically reddit. Um, so here's the theory that one person gave. So mom, Kelly, found out that Tom was having multiple affairs and had been for some time. She was suicidal. I. Presume because of this, and decided to take dad out with her. So she hired the guy, Michael, to kill her to set him up. So she spent weeks rehearsing the daughter. This is exactly what you say. The eyes are like daddy's, the height was like daddy's, the ski mask was like daddy's. No matter what they ask you, the man who killed me, tell them it was like your daddy's. Which is kind of chilling because. That really does kind of answer that question of well why does Why does Charlie say that it looks like Daddy when the when this man, Michael Beard, doesn't look like Tom at all?
0: But is that to say that they think that she knew she was going to get killed? You you kind of cut off at the beginning, so I didn't catch oh, yeah. that. Yeah,
1: so so this is to say that yes, she set up her own death just to frame him. Which is really giving me the whole gone girl vibes here, you know? We could circle back to that later because I don't know if you'll feel the same way after we hear everything. After Michael tells the police that yes, what his girlfriend Holly said is true, he leads them to evidence. He says that the night of the crime, The night of the murder. He was driving down the 225 South and threw out the murder weapon. He just kind of threw it out his window as he was driving and police go search and they find a yellow handle to a sledgehammer and a piece of this was actually in the house so it matched. Police also find keys to the Clayton house in a creek and Michael's bloody clothes from the night of the crime in a swamp. So now we move away from the disgruntled employee seeking revenge to a murder for hire scheme. However, although we see these dots connecting, it doesn't mean that the case is over because all of the all of the evidence is kind of circumstantial. Like it's not strong enough for them to get Tom. Around the town of Caton, they hung up purple ribbons everywhere for Kelly and the purple ribbon is used to raise awareness for domestic violence. It was really sweet because her kids, Charlie and Colin, would see these around town and and they knew it was for their mom. They would say, that's for mommy. Something not so sweet was Tom's reaction when his old hockey arena displayed a huge purple ribbon. He was out on bail and complained to an old teammate, not about his grief, But about the ribbon
0: why would he complain about the ribbon
1: i guess it's because he thinks of it as kind of like you guys are supporting her you're not supporting me that's what i imagine is going through his head yeah while out while out on bail tom hits up casinos and runs into lucky miller he yells out lucky's name and he has his arms open ready for an embrace he says sorry a few times and that he didn't do it. And of course, Lucky in the situation is absolutely terrified because she doesn't believe any of his bullshit. And so this is over a year after Kelly's death when Beard's trial finally begins. He had previously confessed to killing Kelly, but of course, now he's changing his story. He says that he did go to burn the house, but when he got there, Kelly was already dead. And he saw Charlie and a man who looked like Tom This man gave him the murder weapon to dispose of, which wouldn't be so outlandish if he hadn't already given the evidence leading to him, such as his clothes in the swamp. Right. He was charged with first and second degree murder. When Tom went into trial, he didn't appear phased at all. He seemed very calm and collected. I think it just goes to show how he knew that this case against him wasn't very strong. But what he didn't prepare for was Cy Ray. Who is Cy Ray? Cy is a former police officer who worked for ZTEX. It's a security investigation firm, from what I can gather. He was able to map their cell phone movements and discovered that Tom and Michael were together when it didn't really make sense for them to be together unless you're looking at it from the murder for hire perspective. Because if you'll remember they they did work together at that at the surf pro shop and Michael would go over to his house to do handyman type work. But there were situations where they were together where it just didn't really make sense. So two calls that really interested the police were from the date of the murder. So when was Tom calling from a used car lot? And then later that night from the poker game. And looking at all of this, they kind of realized that the poker game call must have been a a go call, as in, okay, now's the time when you go and put this plan into action. Tom Clayton had this whole other life that he kept hidden. He was having multiple affairs without anyone noticing, especially Kelly. Everyone had this idea that Kelly and Tom had this really amazing relationship and it came as yet another shock when they realized they were wrong. One woman testified how she met Tom through the insurance agency where she worked. She said that he made sexual advances And eventually, she and another woman who worked at that agency had a threesome with him. Oh. The woman also had sex with Tom on another occasion, in the office of the the insurance agency office. This woman said he often talked about Kelly, saying awful things about her, calling her a bitch, and saying there was no way he could leave her because she would take everything. Tom said he wished somebody would come and take his wife according to that woman.
0: Wow, and she's uh, still over here sleeping with him?
1: I know, right? I mean, I hope that he said this after the last time, I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, really, he just seems like a piece of work. There was a second woman who said she also met Tom through her job with a property management company and their relationship also turned sexual, no surprise. The witness said she had sex with him at least five times, including one time in his home in the town of Caton, and at least one time after Kelly's death.
0: Oh my god.
1: That's what you're thinking about after your wife died. But with recent developments, we realize that he's pretty happy about all of this, so. Essentially, he felt that he would never be able to divorce Kelly, and if he did, he would be losing a lot of money. I wanted to come back to that theory that we heard earlier about, you know, Kelly kind of planned this whole thing and how it doesn't, it doesn't make sense because we know all this evidence that Michael Beard gave himself that he gave about himself, but also that he gave about Tom. So it just seems like the murder-for-hire was the most accurate? Yeah... With the phone evidence, you know? Like, I don't think I can really put this theory and the phone evidence together. Like, why would they be needing to talk the day of the murder, you know? If it was Kelly who had supposedly planned this out
0: right yeah i mean i guess that's kind of a far-fetched theory i can't imagine that someone would or that kelly would plan go anything to all that like trouble this. yeah it, you know especially like as a mom because if you're thinking that your husband's a yeah. piece of shit like why would you leave your kids why with would you them?
1: leave exactly i mean i guess assuming that you know he would be in prison and someone else would take custody of the kids. But regardless, you know, you're leaving your kids behind. Right. Um, But yeah, I think the only thing, the only reason why I felt it was important to include, not that I'm saying it's true or anything, but it does answer that question about why Charlie would say that the killer looks exactly like her dad.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's true. I don't know. I think you could also just chalk it up to the fact that she's a seven-year-old and doesn't really... That's true not, very not the most
1: reliable <laughs> So with the phone evidence connecting the two men, Tom was found guilty of first and second degree murder, life without parole. As for Beard, he was already in at this point. He was already sentenced for the same the same charges, first and second degree. But they ended up dropping the second degree charge. And so something that I thought was interesting that was at the end of this 2020 episode was them asking the, the person interviewing uh, the sister, Kim. They asked her if it's possible that Beard was a victim in all of this. She says how, she basically said she knows that Tom Clayton is a white privileged man who used Beard, knowing Beard would do anything for money for his family and so I don't know that one just made me think because it really is kind of Kelly's sister sh- I guess showing grace to this man who brutally murdered her sister and but also I feel like it's very accurate you know Tom was his boss he was in this position of power and I think he knew that he could ask Beard to do this and offer him a big lump sum of money and Beard would probably do almost anything for that. I mean, obviously.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's really shitty. So wait, I'm sorry. Did you say that Tom um, was like indicted or was he not?
1: He has life without parole and he was charged of first and second degree murder.
0: At least he ended up getting what he also deserves for planning such a horrible thing. And can we just talk about how shady it is that his, like his kids weren't supposed to be there, and they were, and he knew that they were there?
1: Yes. Okay, so I didn't even include that as part of this because I knew that you would bring it up because it's just so awful. Like, why? why would he... I don't know. It's just really cold-blooded.
0: Yeah, like, because I, I mean, I don't get it, but I can see a little bit more of where he's coming from with the whole, like, you know, if I divorce her, she's going to take half my money, blah, blah, blah. But, like, these poor kids, they have absolutely nothing to do with, you know, their marital affairs.
1: Yeah, sweet little kids, you know, seven and I don't know how old Colin was, but very small. It's so sad. But I guess he just wanted to rid himself of all of his responsibilities, whatever that took, to, I don't know, keep sleeping around.
0: So kind of like similar to a family annihilator, except he tried to hire somebody else to do the job.
1: Yeah, I know. It just screams, um, what is that? Chris Watts? (laughs) Yeah. And so... I was thinking about Michael Beard and his situation, how Tom had kind of roped him into doing this thing. I mean, obviously Michael Beard is his own person, but I but I do think about that whole position of power that that Tom is in. And I don't know. I just kind of think about that case that we did a while ago, um the Gypsy Rose one where she Convinces her boyfriend to go and, you know, commit this murder. And I don't think it's the same situation, but I kind of get a similar feel, like, like the people who are doing the convincing. So Gypsy and Tom, like they are giving them enough reason, I guess, to go and and do this, even though they don't, they themselves don't necessarily want to do it. Does that make sense?
0: Right. Yeah. I can see that.
1: This whole human behavior aspect of the cases is really interesting and why people do these things. So that's, that's the case of, uh, it's like the very tragic case of Kelly Clayton and her murder.
0: That was very interesting. A lot of twists and turns that I was not expecting. And I'm actually very excited to see these photos of um, both Michael and Tom because I just kind of want to compare the two. So if you guys are also excited to see these photos, just uh, hit up our Instagram at tequila lime crime. And I will also post them on Twitter at TLC the pod.
1: And if you've been enjoying, please make sure to uh, leave a review on iTunes and follow and subscribe wherever you listen, and we would really appreciate that. All right, bye!